Have you ever wondered how your sales performance compares against your competitors and peers? The B2B Sales Benchmark Report provides the definitive guide to what success looks like in 2021. See how you compare in terms of win rate, sales cycle, average deal value, relationships, and engagement. You can see the results and get the full report at ebster.com forward slash B2B dash sales dash benchmarks. This is Sales Ops Demystified, the number one most downloaded podcast in sales operations. We invite the brightest minds in sales ops onto the show to deconstruct the what, why, and how behind rep productivity, forecasting, metrics, and all things revenue. This podcast is brought to you by EBSA, a revenue intelligence platform used to identify risk in the pipeline and score customer engagement and is sponsored by the Global Sales Operations Association and the UK Revenue Operations Network. Hello and welcome to another very special episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. Today, we're joined by Chris Fezza. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate you having me. And my pleasure entirely. And the reason I am so happy that you're here is that ever since we started, I've been asking guests about the importance of being a Salesforce admin or having a Salesforce admin in the Salesforce team. Now, I know that you have pretty extensive experience here. Currently, the founder, I believe, of Admin Within, which is a sales ops as a service slash sales ops consultancy, which I do believe includes some technical Salesforce stuff. So Chris, that's one of the things I want to cover today. But before that, I'd like to go back a few years. And I understand that you studied psychology. And so my first question is, how, if at all, has that helped you in your career in sales operations? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's yeah, it's a bit of an interesting transition to go from uh, from psychology to uh, sales ops and trying trying to figure out you know how those two kind of connect at all. Um, I, I think that uh, I was always very interested in psychology um, because it, I think when I started taking the courses, it explained a lot about just how people's minds work. Um, you know, how they go through kind of consideration, decision making process. Um, you know what makes people really tick, and so I found the the um, you know, study is very interesting overall. Um, my sort of thesis and, and specialty in my major was um, in clinical psychology. And, and, um, and so I had a chance to, as part of my thesis, run a clinical trial, um, which exposed me to, you know, statistics, like more of the scientific method and, um, you know, things that go along with sort of running effective, uh, scientific tests or, or trials. Um, I think that's kind of where it parallels to, um, you know, sales ops, the kind of the data analysis side of things, you know, drawing conclusions from the data, um, you know, how to make sure that you're running kind of an effective and appropriate test, um, and that sort of thing. So, um, while like 
maybe not, you know, connected on the surface. I think that kind of the interest in the analytics uh, part of, of psychology actually sort of led me in this path too. Um, plus I was, you know, a little bit concerned about like my career. If I went forward as a psychologist, I, I just thought it would be uh, potentially a little bit like depressing day to day, you know, listening to a lot of people's problems, even though, you know, obviously you're ideally helping them just wasn't really the path that I wanted to pursue. It totally makes sense. You're saying that the psychology degree or the scientific part of it gave you the awareness of the scientific method, which is very important of your running tests or analyzing data within a sales or from a sales team. Exactly. Cool. Awesome. And then on to the next subject that I was alluding to, um, the importance of either being a Salesforce admin or having a Salesforce admin in the team. When did you get that qualification and how critical do you think it is? Sure. Yeah, I think that um, it's something that I picked up. So I started off, uh, you know, as a, a research analyst um, and was in, in more of a kind of pure analyst role. And I think that what happened was um, shortly after I moved uh, into sales ops, I was using Salesforce a lot because Salesforce is kind of the main main CRM for the company I was at, Living Social, um, and the reality was that like I was looking at you know so many reports and and creating reports and thinking like oh it'd be great to you know just add a, a formula here and a formula there so I can get more of this into Salesforce rather than pulling it out and transforming it into Excel and so I kind of you know got into it um, really from a reporting perspective originally. Um, you know, and was lucky to kind of have some some folks that were within the Salesforce admin, you know, CRM team that would uh, both give me access to do that, as well as kind of mentoring um, on a few of the questions I had as I as I went along. And so, um, just kind of got hands on with it from a more of a reporting needs perspective, and then um, you know from there, just kind of kept rolling. Really cool. And then today, uh, we'll we'll talk more about this at the end. But at admin within. How much of the services or strategy you provide is focused on that more technical area? Yeah, probably actually about 70%. Um, so it definitely depends uh, project to project. But um, <clears throat> I think in a lot of cases, um, companies that we're working with, uh, it, it can kind of, uh, the spectrum can vary from companies that have um, no sales ops yet because they're either kind of just starting to grow the sales team, growing out the function. Maybe they don't need a a full-time hire uh, yet, but they they need um, some type of support. And a lot of companies are are, are smart. Uh, maybe they've raised some money and they want to be able to kind of invest in um, building things out the right way, not you know making the same mistakes that so many other companies have as as they were were growing and and building. Um, so it depends. Cer- certain uh, certain projects, you know, it could be just mostly kind of tools and technology getting the the sales RevOps tech stack uh, up and running. Um, you know, in others, uh, generally kind of when the business is a little bit more established, maybe a little bit bigger sales team, uh, they may have some needs around, um, you know, using us for help with annual planning cycles, you know, running some of their uh, sales analytics, creating a, you know, a weekly or monthly uh, sort of executive KPI deck or readout, um, that sort of thing. But I, I think actually probably about 70% of the work is, is more on the kind of Salesforce technical side. And, and so we are a Salesforce uh, registered partner as well. Makes sense. Now, whilst you were a sales ops analyst slash manager at a business called Meta Logics, I believe you guys 
acquired a number of other, I think, software companies. A, how was that experience from a sales ops perspective? And what do other sales ops teams or leaders uh, need to be aware of when going through these kinds of acquisitions? Yeah. Um, yeah, I was really lucky to have that experience. There was, I think there were three acquisitions uh, that occurred while I was there. Um, and they were of varying sizes. So one was like really acquisition of um, <clears throat> almost a, a full uh, another company. Another was an acquisition of just like a product set from a company. Um, so there's, you know, are you acquiring products? Are you acquiring people or, or both? Um, and I think that, you know, from a, a sales ops perspective, um, it's when you're acquiring the, the whole company, you know, sort of products and, and people, there's a lot more planning that has to go into that because you're looking at um, how does the, you know, especially the sales team fit in with the kind of existing sales team? Um, are we going to uh, have a, a, you know, kind of a, a double coverage or dual selling model uh, in the beginning, you know, six months or, or, or to a year or something like that. And then are we going to then, you know, sort of recut or redivide the, the territories um, accordingly? Uh, does this, you know, <clears throat> are we getting uh, folks that have specific uh, experience or talent, you know, in the company we're acquiring that we don't have in-house uh, sometimes, you know, just as much as the, as the, the products itself, like the people uh, that you're uh, getting as part of the acquisition can be uh, can be a great benefit. Uh, and so there's like, you know, there's some kind of things like, what are we doing today? That's really good. What are we going to pick up or learn from the company that we're acquiring? And how do we incorporate those two together? And so that's like, not just how do we kind of carve up territories? How do we sell the products? But also like, is there uh, a sales strategy that's working really well in terms of their, um, you know, cold outreach approach uh, or their uh, ability to drive in, inbound, uh, you know, demand on the marketing side? So kind of like the, the best thing is you get to really take the best of both worlds uh, in an acquisition. And so kind of planning accordingly, um, you know, to take advantage of that, I think is, is really important. Um, on the more technical side, uh, you know, those um, <clears throat> acquisitions usually come with a existing customer base, an existing data set, an existing CRM. Um, and so, you know, making the decision uh, too of like, are we going to keep our existing CRM and bring the company's data into it, or is their CRM actually set up in a better place than ours is, and we're going to move and, and use their CRM overall? Um, and so that that kind of um, that's a, a something that we had to decide for for one of the acquisitions, and and you kind of go through and look at the um, the way that both CRMs are set up, and and really kind of go through like a a pros and cons you know type of thing, almost as if you were evaluating like buying new tool completely and looking across, you know, multiple options, you're going to look across both of these CRMs and say, Hey, what do they do really well? Uh, each of them and, and kind of make your, your decision accordingly, you know, taking into account things like what's the workflow, like on the sales side of things, what are the integrations that are already set up? You might have integrations between, you know, Salesforce and an ERP or marketing automation platform, um, that you want to, uh, to keep up and running. Um, and then, you know, also like what's the historical data migration uh, going to look like to bring over all the kind of the existing customers, existing pipeline and, and that sort of thing. But that's actually usually a, a, a lesser consideration uh, in that versus like integrations and, and, and workflow that are already set up in, in the uh, CRM. So it seems like one of the crucial parts of acquiring is actually having an honest 
assessment of the capabilities and also the uh, processes and CRM of both parties and then choosing the one that is actually going to, which is objectively the best, even though you might be emotionally thinking that your uh, inbound lead generation strategy is better. Uh, yeah. So that's that's the sounds like the crucial part. Uh, but keeping with the CRM theme, I think at, at the pre or the next role from that travel click, you managed a migration to Salesforce Lightning for approximately a thousand users. For anybody listening who is about to go through a Lightning um, uh, migration, I think there still is people out there. What is like the number one thing to consider whilst doing that? I think the, the biggest thing to consider is um, how can you make the migration bring benefits to your end users? So, uh, I mean, uh, you know, a lot of people think about lightning migration as like something that we we have to do. You know, at some point, Salesforce is, uh, I think about a year or two ago, Salesforce really stopped putting out new features on Classic and everything new is coming to lightning. So you're spending, you know, all this money every year for your, your SaaS subscription with Salesforce. And if you're not on lightning, you're, you're basically getting you know, none of the, of the new and improvement, uh, features that they're, that they're delivering. So <clears throat> some companies think about like, oh, we, you know, we just kind of have to do this. Salesforce is, is forcing us to do this in effect. Um, but I think that it's also like, um, you want to think about it through the, the benefits. So if I, if I've got a, a customer service team that's on Salesforce, um, you know, what are the kind of new features that lightning will unlock? What are the, the ways that we can improve their existing workflow? Uh, to you know, uh, shave time off their their ticket resolution. Uh, maybe use something like the Lightning Record page um, layout flexibility to surface um, related records all on one screen, so that they customer service agents don't have to go through three or four different pages um, for each case that they're working. Um, things like that uh, and bringing those benefits to light really helps. I think. Um, make the migration a positive thing rather than just a, a drain on on business resources to do the migration as well as a you know drain on the team for just the change management of learning a new platform. Um, I think that it's it's hard because a lot of organizations want to just say, hey, what's like the minimum we need to do to be compatible in Lightning and make the, the shift? But I think if you do go that step further and then think and really kind of try to deliver benefits through the change, um, it will be uh, more more reasonably well adopted. Makes total sense, both to like get more from the migration, but also to help uh, market the migration or even push the migration through. So that makes total sense. Now up to today with the work um, at admin within, what do you think from all these sales ops functions that you've d- dove into in the past two years, what do you think is the number one opportunity for a sales ops team or leader uh, going into 2021? Number one opportunity. Um, I think that it was sort of at this interesting inflection point right now where, um, the average sales team uses a lot of different tools. Um, like I, I think that in, in most organizations that are, um, sort of tech friendly and especially like kind of SaaS type businesses that, that we work with frequently, um, the sales team might use kind of up to 10 tools in their tech stack, uh, you know, at any given time, uh, which is a lot. And, you know, there's always going to be some, um, you know, you add an additional tool because it brings some some additional benefit, or it's the best at X specific thing. Um, but I think that the um, you know sales ops organizations need to think about like sort of the the tool switching, context switching, um, you know, efficiencies that are lost, and try to think about 
for their teams, how can they kind of streamline their workflow and platforms, um, you know, strip out things that are, are really not bringing uh, positive ROI uh, to the team or think about, you know, a different way to potentially better integrate uh, them to just make that workflow a little bit more, more seamless for folks. Uh, yeah, I guess conventional wisdom is that more tech, the better if it's within the budget. But what you're actually saying is there is a downside to having more tech. Yeah, I think there can be for sure. I mean, certainly to, um, you know, to maintain uh, it, but also, um, you know, just in terms of, of like getting people able to ramp up on all the tech that they have to use for their position. Um, and yeah, and really just kind of day-to-day ongoing management of it. I think it's, um, you know, for organizations that are like a little bit more mature and, and do have a lot of tech, I think they kind of, it's a good process to go through sort of an annual reassessment of, um, you know, are we really seeing the benefits we, we thought we would uh, from each tool that we're using? Sure. Then again, looking forward to 2021. Do you, I mean, I assume you've had some ex- exposure to a forecasting process for next year. What can sales teams do to forecast effectively next year, especially where their forecast may have been completely ripped to shreds uh, in 2020? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think um, I'll be candid, you know, 2020, I think took everyone by surprise um, <laughs> overall. And so, uh, it's a little bit hard to know what what 2021 is is going to bring. Hopefully, um, you know, more stability uh, from a business perspective. Um, but I think that it really kind of comes down to uh, you know the the fundamentals of of how you look at um, you know what's the health of a, a deal, uh, the health of of a, a prospect, or even a, the health of a customer from a renewals perspective uh, overall, and just making sure that like you know as you should have probably been doing before, you're kind of staying on top of of those metrics. So you've got a you know, thorough understanding of who the uh, who the decision makers are in any deal uh, that you've got them them involved that you're you're seeing like kind of the regular um, touch points uh, that you would throughout uh, you know the the sales cycle um, and just that you're kind of constantly staying on top of that pipeline. I think it's um, you're no longer safe to assume that because you had a great conversation two weeks ago that your prospect is you know discussing it internally and and um, you know, working on their their approvals, things might be might be changing a lot more rapidly uh, than they were before, and and things you know, deals can certainly make it right up to the finish line and then get uh, get yanked because of a, a variety of reasons. Yeah, I think it's it's really important to just more than ever kind of stay on top of uh, of the deals um, and really look for those kind of specific activities and, and indicators. Everything again, you know, stuff that we kind of preach. Uh, generally like having, um, you know, really, uh, well-defined explicit next steps, um, you know, having a, a check-in cadence, uh, pretty regularly on the deals. Um, and then making sure that we're, uh, you know, probably I, I would say being just a, a little bit more cautious in, in the forecast overall, not sandbagging, but yeah. Yeah. So, so essentially more diligence, um, and potentially more caution the forecast in order to ensure its accuracy for next year. Now, Chris, the most important question of the episode, who in the world of sales ops would you most like to take for lunch? Um, it's a good question. You know, there's, there's a lot of uh, folks out there and I, I feel like, um, 
I've been a part of this uh, this great Slack community for the past few months called WizOps, um, Wizards of Ops, and uh, started by the the folks at at Sonar, um, and it's really kind of been great to see just like what the you know the ops specific community looks like. Um, so I, I think that uh, you know we've we've chatted over over Zoom plenty of times, but I, I definitely would uh, want to take Brad Smith from from Sonar out to lunch and. Uh, I think he's a, a very like-minded guy and, uh, and would be fun to meet in person. I think we've had a couple of people have said Brad and I have heard of WithOps. It's a great name for a community. Uh, but yeah, we will, um, I think we're going to have to try and reach out to Brad to try and get him on the show. Um, you should. Chris, thank you so much. Um, people, I guess, can just Google admin within if they want to find out more about you uh, or the business. Is that the best way for people to find out? Yeah, just uh, adminwithin.com or uh, or look me up on LinkedIn. Amazing. So I, I think the um, the thing that we covered in this episode that, that I don't think we've covered that well before out of all hundred previous 145 episodes, I think, is the acquisition piece. So I think that's how we're going to lead with this episode. I think it's that your, your thoughts specifically on the analysis of the thing you're acquiring and also your things and then choosing the best as opposed to just thinking that yours are the best and then just... Uh, consuming their things, e.g. their processes, et cetera, CRM structure into yours, um, because that might not actually be the best way to do it. So, Chris, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate you having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. If you are listening on a podcast listening application, then please subscribe, rate, and review. And if you have any questions about the show, if you know a guest, or if you have any questions about sales operations, just hit me up at tomhunt at ebster.com. That's tomhunt at ebster.com.